Welcome to Smart Poker Study, the podcast dedicated to helping you play more effectively, earn more money, and be 1% better every day. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi. In last week's episode number 269, I helped you discover which common poker leaks you suffer from, and I gave you some smart ways to plug them. It's poker study time, y'all. Hello, and welcome to episode 270 of the Smart Poker Study Podcast. If it's your first time here, welcome to the podcast. And if uh, somebody sent you my way, thank them for me, because sharing this podcast with your friends, that's the best word of mouth, or that's the best advertising word of mouth always is. So thank you very much, everybody, for sharing the show via the Twitters, the Facebooks, all that jazz. So uh, with uh, today's episode, it is Vintage Smart Poker Study Time. So I'm going to help you plug a costly leak today. This episode was originally published as number 25 on February 6th, 2016. Now, I want you to listen because I help a student named Sam. I help him fix uh, his leak of not knowing how to play out a position with weak hands on the flop. And there's a good chance that you suffer from this leak as well. And one more thing before we get to the episode. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by ThePokerForge.com. It's my poker training membership site. There's no other site like this one. Each month in the Poker Forge, it's its own uh, workshop where you become an expert around one central theme. We've already done hand reading, pre-flop hand selection, the quick wins poker course, profitable c-bets, and finding the fold. And if you join, you have access to all those prior ones and all the upcoming monthly workshops as well. So go to thepokerforge.com. It is the place to be for serious poker players who want guided poker strategy instruction. It is a no-brainer. Visit thepokerforge.com to join uh, today. Alrighty, let's get to the leak of playing weak hands out of position. Gambate! And now for our feature presentation. Alrighty, so the first leak comes from Sam. He says, Sky, I think that one of my leaks is not knowing what to do on the flop when I'm out of position. I raise it to three big blinds with like queen 10 suited and get called by a player on the button or cutoff. The flop will come something like king-queen-deuce or queen-eight-three, so I've got a second-pair hand or a top-pair weak kicker, and I don't know what to do. I just don't know how to proceed, and it seems like I have to check-fold a lot or check-call and pay off better hands, or I see-bet and get raised and have to fold. Being out of position sucks. Thanks for any help, Sam. All right, well, thank you very much for saying this in, Sam. I totally appreciate it. And to answer this question, or, you know, to deal with this leak, there are two major aspects to the leak of playing out of position with marginal hands on the flop. Number one, the first aspect is the choices that you make pre-flop. And number two are the choices that you make post-flop. So the first thing we want to do is figure out why we're getting to the flop with a weak hand out of position. So let's look at your pre-flop choices before we get to that post-flop stuff. So in pre-flop poker, there's three considerations before you get involved in any hand. And I'll go over each of these individually, but first, all three. Number one is card advantage. Number two is skill advantage. And number three is positional advantage. So for number one, card advantage, 
If your hand is strong enough, it doesn't matter if you're in position or out of position, you're going to enter the pot no matter what. You specifically gave the example of queen-10 suited, and generally a hand like this is pretty weak. You're dominated by just about any 10 that will call, and a lot of queens that will call have you dominated as well. That's not to say this is a bad hand to play, but you just need to be aware of the inherent vulnerabilities of the hand that you choose. So the first step to correcting this leak is looking at your hand selections pre-flop. Do you have opening ranges by position yet? Now, when I say by position, I don't really mean every single position around the table. Not under the gun, under the gun plus one, MP1, and so on. I follow Ed Miller's positional breakdown that he gives in the book called The Course, where everything before the cutoff is early position, then there's the cutoff, the button, and the two blinds. So if you've never set opening ranges for yourself by position, then this is where you need to begin. I actually listed this as MED, or minimum effective dose number one, in yesterday's podcast, which was podcast number 24. Also in episode 22, I tell you how you can find your current ranges by position. So go back to that episode if you need, find your current ranges, then add or subtract hands as necessary until you get to what you think might be a good range, a good strong range for that position. Put this range to the test over a few sessions and see how it works out for you. And we'll continue on here with the idea that you've got your ranges set. You know, you spent some time, maybe you already have your ranges, and if not, you've spent some time, you've worked on them, and now you know what you're opening in each position. The second thing that we need to consider before we play a hand preflop is skill advantage. You need to consider the skill advantage you have over the other players you're likely to see the flop with. So if you're under the gun, you've got up to eight other players who can call your open raise, and six of them will be calling in position on you. That's a lot of guys that can make your life very difficult. So before you make your play, you need to think about which players are going to call you. Look at those remaining eight players and just think about their player types, how loose, how passive, how aggressive they might be, and just consider if I open to three big blinds here, who's going to call? So will the likely callers, whoever they are, will they make your life hell post-flop with hands when you play hands like Queen-10 suited? Will you be able to limit the callers by making a bigger raise and and making it easier to play post-flop against just one other player? You know, you have to consider these, whatever position that you're in, consider who's going to call you. And do the players who will likely call, do they give up easily on the flop or are they sticky stations when in position? So beyond the skill advantage, the third thing you need to consider before you get involved in a hand is positional advantage. And of course, everybody knows it's way easier to play in position. And there's a reason why the button is the most valuable spot on the table. It's like in real estate. They say location, location, location. Well, in poker, you should be saying position, position, position. And there's a couple ways we can increase the likelihood of playing in position. When I say a couple, I actually came up with four different ways. Number one is to never limp. Always raise if you're entering the pot. Your raise tells others your hand is likely strong, so you'll get less callers. The second way to increase the likelihood of playing in position is you raise to isolate limpers who are already in the pot. It kind of goes with the idea of never limping, but you never want to limp behind as well because that just attracts more people to limp in as well. Now you're going to see a multi-way pot with two, three, four guys behind you. And isolating limpers also gives the impression that you've got a strong hand and it'll discourage those yet to act to give you any extra action. The third way to increase the likelihood of playing in position is to raise bigger in early positions and even middle position and cutoff. You know, I mostly keep my open sizing at three big blinds, but occasionally I'll be at a table with a ton of fishy stations who will call my three bet with, you know, a top 70% hand, let's say. And that's just fine. I want to play with these super weak ranges, but when one of them calls, 
another calls and another and another. And before I know it, I'm freaking under the gun with a king queen suited versus four other players. And that makes playing post flop super hard. So I found that making it bigger it, when necessary really does help to limit the field. Like making it three and a half or four big blinds can go a long way towards curtailing the number of callers that you face. And the fourth way of increasing the likelihood of playing in position is tighten your blind calling ranges. Every time you call in the blinds, you're guaranteeing to play out of position, except when the SB is the opener and you're in the big blind. That's the only time. But most of the time, if you're playing in the blinds, you're out of position. So tighten up or start three bet restealing more versus late position opens uh, or just ditch a ton of the hands and just play top 10%. That's that's completely up to you. That's out of the scope of this leak right here. But if you find yourself calling a ton of blinds, playing out of position, just giving up on flops, limit that blind calling range. And ultimately, with all of this stuff that I just said, you need to be judicious in your hand selections and give yourself the best opportunity to make money with each hand that you select. So let's continue on with the idea that you thought about everything just mentioned. In regards to card advantage, our hand was good enough to raise with. Uh, in regards to skill advantage, we know who our likely opponents would be, and we feel we can play pretty well against them. And regards to positional advantage, well, we're out of position, so now we've got to proceed carefully because we flopped a marginal hand. So your choices post-flop now are what we're going to be concerned with. We're out of position with a marginal hand. Oh, and marginal hands are like second pair hands, under pocket pair, like 10-10 on a queen-jack deuce board, you know, something like that. Uh, top pair weak kicker along those lines. So your question now is, now that you're at the flop with this marginal hand, your question is, what do I do here? To answer this, I want you to remember that every action you take should have a desired effect. You don't bet for no reason. You don't check for no reason. You don't check raise for no reason. Um, I guess you could just fold for no reason, and at least you don't burn any money off that way. But yeah, everything that you do should have a desired effect. So what do you want your opponent to do? Is he likely to do it? And what action will accomplish this? So we'll go over three different scenarios here, which are kind of, you know, three outcomes that we want to achieve. Outcome number one is we want him to fold either better hands or weaker hands or his draws. Number two is we want him to call with worse and give us value. And number three is we want to keep the pot small and get to the river cheaply because we've got a showdown value hand. Alrighty, so scenario number one, we want him to fold now either better hands or weaker hands or draws. So is he likely to fold is the question. And how do we know this? Well, is the guy flop honest? You know, does he have a high fold to C bet, a high fold to donk bet, or just a high fold to flop bet in general? You know, do we know if he's a fit or fold player? Does he always get out if he has squat or does he only stay in with good draws in some kind of a pair? Is his one win saw flop stat really low? You know, these are the kinds of guys that see a lot of flops, but they ditch the hand somewhere uh, before the before showdown because their hand just isn't good enough. And have we taken any notes on the guy that indicate that he's likely to fold to flop aggression? Now, if the answer to these is yes, if we really think this guy is going to fold, then we have a choice. We can either donk lead to get him to fold, or we can check raise to show really good strength to get him to fold. And this is really good if we know he c-bets very frequently. If his flop c-bet is like 70 80%, this guy C bets at just about anything on the flop. He could have two over cards. He could have two under cards. He could have an under pair. He could have deuces on a on an eight nine jack board. You know, whatever the case is. If we know that he C bets a ton, we can always check raise there to, to steal it. And in general, 
if you want to elicit folds, you're going to have to bet more. Some players will fold their crap to a one-third pot bet, but other guys will never fold to a one-half or even a two-thirds pot bet. You have to make it three-quarters or a pot size. So know your opponent before you throw out that bluff right there. And if we know that he is not likely to fold, if we know that he's going to call any bet to stick around and he wants to try to take it away on a later street or he's just a non-believer or he'll call with any two over cards, whatever the reason is, if we know he's not going to fold, then don't bet. You know, let's try to pot control and try to get to the river with not much more invested. All right, so the second scenario that we have to consider is we want him to call with worse and give us value. So the question with this is, is he likely to call with worse hands, you know? And how do we know this? Well, if he is a station, which means he just calls a lot with a ton of draws, with weak pairs, with no pairs, with just over cards, or he's a non-believer, you know, if he's a station like this, we'd probably want to try to get some value out of the guy. If he's a very loose, passive player and only ever raises with strong hands, then we can bet here and ditch to further aggression, you know. And if we know that he's capable of calling down with bottom pair or an under pair, then throw out a bet or two and see how he reacts to it. If our goal is to get value, we need to bet to get that. That value. We want to bet more for extra value, but this does bloat the pot and it puts more of our money at risk, or we bet less to make it more likely that he'll call. And of course, this does let him draw to his uh, whatever draw he has cheaper, but sometimes that's the price you got to pay when you want value from a guy. So the third scenario that we'll consider is we want to keep the pot small and get to the river cheaply because we've got a showdown worthy hand. So is he likely to remain passive on the flop, the turn, or the river? And if he is, you know, how do we know this? Well, his flop bet, his donk bet, his C bet, and his check raise are all low percentages. Like he only does it with really strong hands. Maybe all of those are like anywhere from 10 to 30%. You know, th that kind of guy. Uh, if his aggression frequency is low. And for those who don't know aggression frequency, this is one that not a lot of people fully understand. But this is a percentage of non-checking actions that were aggressive. So it's calculated as the number of bets plus the number of raises divided by the total number of folds, calls, bets, and raises. So it looks at everything that is not checking its aggressive actions, the percent of aggressive actions that they may make. And uh, it basically just shows how aggressive the guy is. And anything over 40% is pretty darn aggressive. So the higher the AFQ, the more likely he is going to be betting, the less likely you'll be able to get to showdown for free or for cheaply, you know. So if you encounter a player like this, you want to keep the pot small. Well, he bets so much, you're not going to be able to do that. It might be a good time to throw out a bet or make a check raise to bluff this guy right here. Now, one last thing is you need to consider future streets and possible cards that will come before you make your action. If there's a lot of cards that can help you, let's say, for example, maybe you have a 9-7 of hearts on a 4-6-8 with two hearts board, you know. So then any 5, a 7, a 9... A 10 or a heart will add to your equity when called. If every card in the deck is ugly, then really think twice before doing any kind of betting or check raising. If you've got a 4-5 on a 5-9-10, that's bottom pair with a crap kicker, not much of a draw at all, then, you know, the only cards that would make you happy on the turn is a 4 or a 5. Anything else will complete a straight, it'll add to another draw, or it makes a or it makes a different hand a better pair than your bottom pair right now, you know? So the more outs that you have, the more equity that you have, the more likely uh, a bet or at least a check call is more in order there. 
Oh, and if you're involved in a multi-way pot, the problems with being out of position are exacerbated because you have more players in there, you know? So be very careful if you're betting as a bluff or for value, and if you're planning on a check call on a wet board, make sure your call ends the action because it sucks when you check, the guy after you checks, the guy after him checks, the button decides to bet, you call, and then one of the two other checkers behind you decide to squeeze-raise. Oh my gosh, they check-raise squeezed you. Now what are you going to do? I mean, you only had a draw. You've got to ditch the hand, but you've committed all these extra, all this extra money to it. So it just ain't worth it. Um, you know, when you're out of position in a multi-way pot, you need to be very careful before you commit any kind of money to it. Oh, geez. And another thing I should have mentioned earlier. Uh, in general, your goal at the micro and low stakes is to avoid strength and attack weakness. So if you're out of position on the flop and the opponent checks behind, then it might be a good time to strike out on the turn and steal the pot on the turn. If you check and he bets, you need to have a good reason to stay in or just ditch the hand. You know, some reasons to stay beyond the flopper because the guy's a habitual bluffer. He c-bets really, really frequently. The board doesn't hit his range so he's got an overpair or nothing at all he gives up on the turn so you can stab and take it away on the river whatever the reason is make sure you've got one if you're continuing against aggression post-flop challenge here's my challenge to you for this episode fix this leak Start with setting opening ranges, then play some focus sessions with three areas of focus. Number one, focus number one is use these ranges no matter what pre-flop. Focus number two is consider the opponents yet to act before you open. And focus three is when you get to the flop, decide on what you want your action to accomplish before you click that button. Now it's your turn to take action and scooby-dooby-doo something positive for your poker game. Oh, that's it now. Get out there and be somebody. Alrighty, make sure you head on over to www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod270 for the show notes for today's episode, which of course was brought to you by thepokerforge.com. This is the essential resource for any poker player at any stage of the game, especially this month if you're looking to turn bad calls into money-saving folds, because that's what the, this month's workshop is all about at the Poker Forge. We have a growing video library with guided action steps every single week, quizzes, and a live monthly Q&A. So up your game at thepokerforge.com today. And please check out my new podcast called Daily Poker Tips. You can get it wherever podcasts can be found. And you can also say, Alexa, play Daily Poker Tips on Apple Podcasts. And ba-bam, she'll play it for you. Two shout-outs, Ronnie Loveday purchased Poker Tracker 4 by going to smartpokerstudy.com slash pokertracker4, and by doing that, he supported the podcast, and in thanks, I sent Ronnie a copy of my Smart HUD. And Jeff Durbin already had Poker Tracker 4, so he picked up Smart HUD directly by going to smartpokerstudy.com slash smarthud. Until next time, study smart, play much, and make your next session the best one yet. Mm-hmm.